Last week, we um, talked to you a little bit out of the fourth chapter of Philippians. And I felt like I might want to stay in the book of Philippians for a little while. And uh, I... uh, I want the Lord to speak to me. I guess it was the third chapter, not the fourth chapter. But I love the book of Philippians for many reasons. It is a, uh, it is the, a book of joy. And when you understand the circumstances, it makes it that much more powerful. I'm going to try to peel back a little bit of the layer. My brother was showing me right before service uh, some of the, the jail in Philippi where Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into the inner prison. And then the river where uh, the woman was baptized that started the ruckus and caused so much um, turmoil in the city and caused Peter or Paul and Silas to be thrown in jail. And uh, then all of, of the revival that came out of that, the persecution that came, and yet in the midst of all of that, they they have a testimony. And Paul gives them their commission. He gives them their their um, motto to live by. Rejoice in the Lord. Forgot how many times the word joy or rejoice is used in these four short chapters, but it's number of times. But I'm going to turn your attention to the first chapter, Philippians chapter 20, or verse number 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, down through verse 30. Paul said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, everybody say in nothing, and in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me. So whatever Paul went through when he was there, now they are going through the same experience. And he said, now you hear me to even be in it still. 
I want to go back to verse 27 and, and I want us to work our way through. And I guess for lack of a better title, I want to call it tonight a testimony for troubled times. Everybody say that with me. A testimony for troubled times. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I am not a Greek scholar by any means, but I have learned how to study uh, a little more in depth the Greek language uh, and the Hebrew text, not to uh, the degree I would like to, but I have learned how to dig beyond the surface and find uh, the root of what Paul was uh, writing or what the others might have been saying and how that words changed through the years to get back to its original meaning that was conveyed in this text. And when I, when I, when I've studied Paul's writings, there is one thing that I have discovered that is very clear in every letter that Paul wrote to the New Testament church, that he is a wordsmith. And by that I mean Paul emphasizes particular words for that moment because it had a significant message for that time. And he, if you study Paul to any depth, you will find oftentimes that there were choices of words, but in that situation, he chose the right word to bear the strongest message. And one of them he uses here when he talks to them as uh, about their conversation. And uh, the word that is used there is not talking about our verbal uh, usage of word, but it was referring to a person's lifestyle, the way that they lived, but the root of that word went even deeper than that, and it indicated someone who was a citizen of a country, a citizen of the country. So when you're reading this, Paul is not just talking in general term, but he wants to identify them and help them understand who they are so they will know how to live in the circumstances in which they are presently living. And so when I uh, began looking at this, I realized that Paul was trying to get a message through to this Philippian church that was very needed. The church itself, that had been birthed out of his second missionary journey was now experiencing the same kind of persecution that had been on him and it was weighing heavily upon them. And I think 
as far as Paul is concerned, he's riding from a distance. And there is the pressure of persecution and the weighing of the thoughts that are in his mind as to how is this going to affect them? How How is this going to uh, work out in this pressure that they're under and the, this persecution that is upon them? How... How are they going to respond to all of this? And how would it all play out? And what would they do? And to me, in reading this, it seems that that must have been the mind of Paul when he was writing to them of his concerns because of what he goes on to say. And in essence, he, he determined, I, I want to, I want to help you. I want to arm you. I, want to remind you of some things that matter when you're living under the persecution that you're living under. Now, we we don't really understand that in the day in which we live because none of us have been put in jail because of what we believe yet. Uh, we may before it's over, but we, we've not been taken into the square and beaten because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are pressures that we live under in this day that have just as much effect on us and on our spirituality as perhaps the persecution did for them in that day. And I know that there's no way of weighing that and saying it's equivalent, but I believe that what Paul was trying to help them with will help us who live under stress or pressure or problems that are in our life, how we live under and in those problems is so critically important. And so Paul, in where we begin reading in verse number 27, the words that he chooses bears the weight of his concern for them. And he starts with the word only. Everybody say only, only, only. That that word seems simple in in itself, but when you dig a little deeper, you realize that it has a much broader meaning than than what you would think. And so I started going through reading every translation that I could find, and I discovered that that word only is translated many ways, but they all convey the same concern. And this is how it's translated. One translation says, whatever happens, for the word only, whatever happens. The next translation said, only one thing concerns me. The next translation said, now the important thing is, and the next one said, most importantly. Now when somebody starts talking like that, I want to sit up and pay attention because I'm about to learn something if I will listen or I am about to be given something that will help me if I'm paying attention. And so Paul is saying, whatever happens. Now, in my mind, that alludes to a lot of different things. That that conjectures that there are multiplicities of things that could go on and he wanted to come see them 
to encourage them, but he didn't even know if that was going to be a possibility. He, he saw that as being problematic and, and he was not sure what was going to happen, but he had a message he had to get to him. And so he said, whatever happens, whatever happens to me or to you or life or circumstance, whatever happens, this is what you need to remember. This is what, this is how you need to live. And so, uh, whatever they were enduring, what, what he had endured for a while when he was in the city, whatever that might be, whatever pressure they would live under, he, he makes this statement. And when I read it, the Lord spoke to me, but he said, if I come to you or if I don't come to you, live this way anyway. Now, in my mind, when I read that, it was as if the Lord said, it is important for you to live in what is, not what could be. You need to learn how to live in what is, not what could be. Doing my present duties under present circumstances is more important to God than some future possibility or contingency that might be different than what my present circumstances are. Now, I I hope I'm not being too vague, but what I'm trying to say is it's not, you know, sometimes in our mind we say, well, if things were different, I would, I, I'd be able to handle this. Well, why can't we handle it if things never become different? Why can't we live it if things never change? And that's the essence of what I think Paul was trying to get through to them. I want to come to you. I may not be able to come to you. I know some of you are depending on me coming because you're going to gain strength from my visit. It's going to help you in your persecution. But he said, what I'm telling you is, if I get there, good. If I don't get there, this is how you still need to live. This is how you still need to think. This is how you still need to act. This is how you still need to live. It's not what could be, but what is. Now, there's a lot of people that could live for God if things were different. You know, if they didn't have to work with this boss or they didn't have to put up with this problem, they, they could, they could do a lot of things better. And so much of life is hijacked by circumstances. And we, we excuse ourselves in our present circumstance because, well, you know, if, if things were a little different, I'd be more involved. If things were a little different, I'd, I'd be more committed. If things were a little different, I might be a little bolder. I might be a little more courageous. Paul said, I want to tell you how to live if nothing changes. I want to tell you how to live if you have to go on through persecution. If your problems don't go away. If God doesn't answer your prayer. Now we've all been praying for God to do miraculous things around here. And I, I believe that. But what happens if God chooses not to answer that prayer? 
Can I still live like I need to live if nothing changes? Now, I know that's not faith preaching, but that's real preaching. You know, faith preaching said, oh, it's going to change. It's going to, what happens if it doesn't change? Can I still be faithful? Can I still worship him just as fervently as I am right now? Because my mind is encouraged right now that a possibility of change may be on the horizon. But what if it doesn't change? Can I still maintain my worship? And can I maintain my spirit of praise and my service to him if nothing in life changes from what it is right now? Amen. There's a lot of people could live for God if they were under different circumstances. But what about living for God under the present circumstances? To me, the greater testimony is not what you could do, but what you can do right now. Under all of the adversity, under all the pressure, under all the problems, under all of the hurt, under all the confusion, under everything that's happened in your life, that you can still lift your head up and remember who you are. I am a citizen of another world. I am a child of God. I am not a victim of my circumstances. I am a chosen person tonight. Amen. I'm a citizen of the gospel. Amen. More important than what could be is learning how to live in what is. Can I still praise him? Amen. If the 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 the, the suffering doesn't cease, can I still magnify him? If the problem doesn't go away, can I still get on my feet and clap my hands and lift my voice and shout for joy? That is what was most concerning to Paul. It wasn't what might be, but what was. Paul was a realist, and he learned whether he was in plenty or poverty, he learned to abound and be abased. Because his sufficiency was not in things, but in Jesus Christ. He said, I have all things. I've learned how to be lifted up and I've learned how to be put down. But whether I'm up or down doesn't change what's on the inside of me. I am a child of God. Blood has been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am now a child of the King. And so I'm going to live like a child of the king. Amen. Not as a victim of circumstances. And so Paul placed on them an obligation to live independent of our circumstances. I pray they change. I want them to change. I want that miracle to happen. But if it doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to love him. I still want to dance just as fervently. I still want to shout just as loudly. Not because God has blessed me. I want to learn that there's another side to living for God, and that's suffering. 
Didn't Paul say later on in Philippians that I may know him in the power of his resurrection? That's the part we shout about. Oh, we want power. But we get amnesia when it comes to the latter part of that verse. And in the fellowship of his suffering. You see, faith and suffering are not contradictory terms. You can have faith and still suffer. You can suffer and still have faith. And Paul just trying to get through to them. You know what? I want to come. And I, I'm trying to get there, but there may be problems. I may not get there, but whatever happens, whatever happens, this is what you've got to remember. Don't forget who you are. Live. Let me read it again. He said, let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. He said, in essence, live as a citizen of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're not just a citizen of Philippi. You are a citizen of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So more important than me thinking about what could be is learning how to live in what is. And you know what I've discovered about God? Sometimes if I'll just quit whining about what is and start living in what is, God will change what is to what could be. Amen. That's just me. I don't know about, he may not do that for you, but he leaves me sometimes in my circumstances until I figure out my circumstances don't have any control over me. God has control over me, and he's the one that orders my steps. And whether things are going my way or not, I still have his hand on me, and his hand is what is directing me, and I can live for him if I'm shouting the street, or I can live for him if I'm stuck away in a prison. I can shout in either place. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. More importantly, I think Paul was concerned about what was at stake. His greatest concern was their testimony in their present circumstances. And he wanted that message to be clear to them. You are a citizen of another world. Amen. You're a citizen. I wrote this down earlier, and I'm, I, I, I think it's true. I feel like it's true. But the glory of a country is seen not in the eloquence of the word of its constitution, but in the lives of the individuals who live that constitution. As great as the Declaration of Independence is, you are what make America great. 
the life that you live, that you take that preamble and those principles upon which our nation was founded and they become the groundwork for which you live your life and how we govern our lives and how we operate in a free market system and we give men opportunities to start from nothing and become something. And all of that, the beauty of the country is not in how eloquent the writer was, but in how it's seen lived out in the lives of everyday people. And you know what? This is black and white right here, but you're living color. And Paul said, don't we know that we are epistles? We are epistles read of all men. The most powerful message the world needs is not just Acts 2.38, but it needs your life and my life proving that Acts 2.38 is true and that it works. You see, the glory of the gospel is seen not in the eloquence of Paul's words, but in the lives of those who live those words. Amen. And so Paul talks to them about what is needed in circumstances like that. And, and he says some very pertinent things. One of them is, uh, live consistently is what I interpret it. He said that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, that you stand fast in one spirit and you strive together for the faith of the gospel. You see, what is needed when I live under pressure is a consistency. That's the greatest testimony to the world is not whether or not I can live for God whenever things go in my way or when I've got plenty of money in the bank or everybody's patting me on the back saying, man, what a great guy you are. The, the, the key is, can I keep living for him when they turn against me and they hate me and they sock me away in a prison or they want to lock me up? Can I still live as a child? Can I still live a victorious life? Can I live in such a way even there? That I honor him. And Paul's saying to the Philippians, if you get out of jail or you don't get out of jail, you need to keep living like you're a citizen of another world. If God answers your prayer or he doesn't answer your prayer, you got to keep living like you're a citizen of another world. Live in a way that brings honor to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only true measure. Be consistent. Everybody say be consistent. You see, I need to conduct myself in a way that's worthy. Anybody can live for God when everything's going their way. At least I think they should be able to. The key, though, is whether you can live for God when everything is against you. Can you still maintain a right spirit? Can you do, as Paul said to the Philippians, rejoice evermore? Can you joy in the midst of sorrow? Can you shout in the midst of trouble? Can you still rejoice 
when pressure is being applied and you're being pushed into a corner, can you still smile and lift up your voice and magnify God and rejoice that he has made you able? Amen. Amen. Anybody can live for God when things are are cool, when faith is operating and the fruit of faith is evident. I mean, you you pray, miracles happen, boom, 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 boom. I mean, that's exciting. But what happens when you pray and nothing happens? Can you still praise when there's no answer? When the gospel should be on full display is not when prayers are being answered, but when they're not being answered. To me, that shows the real worth of what we stand for. It's not when our money is coming in and our pockets are full and our bellies are full and our, our, our joy is full, but the world needs to know. Listen, hear me tonight. The world needs to know that this works when you're up, but it also works when you're down. It works just as good in the prison as it does in the palace. So whether I abound or whether I'm a base, the gospel works wherever you live. It's the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Clap your hands to the Lord and let's give him a little praise. Amen. And so Paul is admonishing them, be consistent. Don't be up and down. Don't live like a yo-yo. Some people, my goodness, they give me a, a crick in my neck. In, out, up, down, in, out, up, down, in, out, up, down. I need somebody to pray for my neck. I don't know what's going on. And all of it has to do with their circumstances, their present circumstances. When they got it, when they have a job, man, front row seats. When they've got plenty of friends, front row seat. But when somebody defriends them on Facebook, are they, they don't get that raise? Are they get a pink slip? Where are they? If there's ever a time the world needs to know that the gospel is real, is not when we're on top of the world, but when we're underneath it and it's not crushing us. When we're underneath the pressure and the weight of trouble and problems in life and yet something comes out of praise and there's a buoyance and people look at us and think, what in the world can you, how can you even think that way? I'll tell you how I can think that way because I'm not of this world. I'm a citizen of another world. I live by a different law. I live a different rule. I have a different master. Amen. So be consistent. Be consistent. Be faithful. Everybody say, be faithful. And then I love this latter part. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish here. He said, and, and in nothing. Is this me? Can you fix this? That's getting annoying. (laughs) I didn't say fix me. I know you can't do that, but fix this. 
And then nothing terrified by your adversaries. Paul said, you need to square your shoulders and look your enemy square in the eye and don't even blink. The word in the Greek means don't flinch. You ever played chicken with anybody? See who's going to give in first. You ever get in a, kids get in a staring contest, see who's going to blink first? Paul said staring down. (laughs) Amen. Stare him down. Don't blink. Don't flinch. And he said that in itself will be the victory that will cause your enemy to crumble before you. Not because of your great might, but because you were fearless in the face of his efforts to try to destroy you. That you didn't even let it phase you. You didn't even blink. You didn't even cringe. You didn't flinch. You just took it and kept standing. Trouble. What trouble? Problems. What problems? You know what? I wish I could get that down to me because I need to quit living the way sometimes I have lived where I enjoy talking about my problems. You know what I've realized today? That when I do that, I'm making the enemy smile. He's saying, it's working. (laughs) It's working. You know what? I want to get to the place. Like the Apostle Paul, just lay another stripe on me. Put me a little further back in the prison. But I got news for you. You can't ever put me far enough back that I get out of touch with God. It doesn't matter where you put me. I can still pray. And wherever I am, God's going to come right there. He's going to visit me right there. You put me far enough back in a prison that you can take me away from the touch and the hand of God. And... Nothing, no thing terrified. Amen. I'm telling you, that, that's bold. That's courage. I want to, I, I, Paul realized that that's what they needed more than anything, more than me coming. You need to understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If I'm there, it's good. If I'm not, it's good because something in you is great enough to keep you no matter what you are going through. And so they don't even flinch. Amen. Pull their fingernails out. They don't even lift up their voice. Oh, oh, what what Polycarp? And all of those, and, and, and Fox's Book of Martyrs tells about when they would literally take the skin off of them and flay them alive. Instead of them screaming out in terror, they lifted their voice in praise. Don't you know that made hell tremble? Don't you know hell shook 
on, at that moment when they realize it doesn't matter. You can nail him to a cross and you still can't take away his love. You can crucify him, but you can't take away his work. You can pierce him in the side, but you can't stop his love. He's going to keep reaching. He's going to keep calling. That's the power of gospel that you and I are connected to. It's strong enough to keep me in whatever circumstance I am living in. If my lumbago goes away or it doesn't. If my arthritis goes away or it doesn't. I can still rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Amen. Life's painful, folks. I don't know if you figured that out yet. But it's painful. It hurts to get up some mornings. You know what I want to do? I want to do like Apostle Paul. He he take a licking and just keep on ticking. I mean, you knock him down, but you're not going to keep him down. You can't keep a good man down. Amen. Even the Proverbs say, a good man falls, but he gets back up. He falleth seven times. How could a good man even fall? Because he gets up. That's what makes him good because he got up. Not that he fell, but that he got up. And Paul was trying to say, you need to understand that greater is he that's in you than what is around you and what is happening to you. And God wants to give you a boldness. And God wants to give you a strength and a courage that whatever life does to you, blink just smile and wave (laughs) you smile and lift your hands and say thank you Lord the Lord give the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord he is great he's greatly that's impossible evidently it's not or Paul would not have said what he said to the Philippian church and so I go back to what I said in the beginning Whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, whatever comes, whatever transpires, only one thing concerns me, that you live consistently, that you live faithfully, and you live fearlessly. And if you do that, you will be victorious. Amen. Be not afraid of those that are against you. Don't let your enemy see you react. What a powerful, powerful principle. I've not made it there yet, but I'm trying to get there. Amen. I I, I want to have such a confidence in my heart that no matter what happens, no matter whether the sun shines or it doesn't, and believe me, this building situation has tried me to my nerves end. But I finally come to the point where I realize that, God, this is yours, not mine. And so I'm going to have church whether we get in that new building or not. 
I'm going to have revival right here until we get this. So we, you know, a lot of us, we've talked about that before, but hey, I'm not waiting to get over there to have a revival. I'm going to have it right here. Because this is the testimony right here. The testimony that we could rise up out of the ashes, that we could rise up out of a flood and turn a disaster into a miracle and allow God to do things that only God can do. This is the testimony right here that we can come into a gymnasium and sit in a different environment and still shout and run and rejoice and see people healed and receive the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, stand to your feet and clap your hands right now and give him some praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Right where we are, right now, have revival. In your present circumstances, have revival. In your present environment, shout for joy. Amen. Rejoice. Walk in your home tonight, and even though it's been a burden and maybe a curse at times because of all the troubles you've had to go through over the last couple of years through the flood, walk in those doors, and even if it's not finished or perfect or what it ought to be, just walk in rejoicing that I've got a place to go to. Walk into your job tomorrow, and even though the job may not be ideal and your boss may be a jerk, just walk in there and say, thank you, God, that I've got a job. Thank you that I've got a place to go. Thank you that I've got a home to go to. Thank you that I've got a car to get into. I wanted to trade it off. I'd like to be driving something better. But I tell you what, I can drive what I've got until God gives me what he wants to get me. <clears throat> Praise God. Well, I better shut up. A testimony. That's what we need is a testimony, that it works in the worst of times. It works no matter what. Amen. Praise God. Lift your voice and let's praise him one more time. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your power tonight. Thank you, God, for your mercies and goodness and for your love and compassion. Thank you, God, for your strength that's made perfect in our weakness. Oh, God, I thank you that no matter what happens, the circumstances of life do not determine my relationship with you. Hallelujah. Amen. I am a citizen of the gospel. I am a product of the resurrection. Amen. Praise God. And he said, even if that body is in the grave, when that trumpet sounds... Death is not going to be able to hold it because they that are dead are going to rise first and then we which are alive are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. All of that came because of the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach. Man, praise God. That's the kind of testimony I want. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to give you something tonight. Oh, yeah, he does. He wants to give you something tonight that will help you get through whatever you're going through. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. Thank you for being here tonight. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.